Well, I'll give you how long that was. I haven't pastored for 29 years, so. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. So, uh, that's been a few years down the road. Amen. And so, uh, of course, this is my wife, Carol. Carol may probably be married 48 years. I got it right. Amen. The other night I said 47. I quit counting. Amen. But uh, get in trouble if you get that right, fellas. And uh, so it's exciting. I got saved May the 20th, 1972. Be 51 years in just a few weeks. A few years later, God got a hold of my heart. I went to Mexico on a mission trip in 1978 with a guy named Carlos Dimmers in um, Bearing Precious Seed Ministries. And on that trip, God got hold of my heart. Came back, uh, thought maybe it was just emotion, wrestled with God for a couple weeks. Our first child was born, uh, Melissa. And uh, the first Sunday she was in church, wasn't it? I walked down the aisle, took my pastor by the hand. I said, I believe God's called me to preach. He goes, yeah, we've been waiting on it, amen. And, and uh, so I said, well, can I better tell my wife? I turned around, she's standing right behind me. And she said, I said, God's called me to preach. She said, I know. I thought, well, why didn't you all tell me and save me a lot of agony? Amen. But uh, so God's been good to us. Been in the ministry since full time since 1981. And I tell you what, God's been good. We pastored in West Virginia for 12 and a half years. Did nine years working with the Rock of Ages prison ministry, a lot of it in Ohio, and some of you look really familiar. <laughs> Especially this, no, amen. <laughs> but uh, then uh, it's been 19 years ago now, Pastor uh, Don Snow talked to us about All Points Baptist Mission. And 19 years ago in January, All Points Baptist Mission began. God's been good to us. We have, tw we have uh, 28 military chaplains and one of them snuck in on us this morning. Brother Cody Hamby and his wife, Hannah. And uh, we're good to see them. Uh, you, you're going to Chibolic this summer, right? So Brother Hamby will be going to his official training class this summer. At, uh, Chibolic at Fort Jackson in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. That's going to be an exciting time. Pray for his wife. That means they'll be separated for three months. You going to do the whole thing this summer? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's what I thought. So three months she'll be without him and he'll become an official soldier. No, he's already in the reserves, Army Reserves. We have 28 military chapters. Let me give you the short version of that. So everywhere I go, people ask me what that's all about. Every chaplain in the military has to have what is called an ecclesiastical endorser. And that is, in simple terms, a religious organization that has been approved by the Department of Defense to sponsor a man in the military as a chaplain or endorse him. And what that means is, according to DOD Regulation 1304-28, I've said it so many times I got it memorized, amen. And, but it, when we endorse a man like this to go in the military as a chaplain, the military and the, de the Department of Defense cannot make him violate our faith practice. So as an independent fundamental Baptist preacher, they can't make him use another version of the Bible. They can't make him do all these things that we do not do in practice as independent Baptists. So our job as the endorsing agency is to ensure that is never violated. Then on top of that, to encourage his, him and his family and challenge them. When you think about it, people could say, well, I'd like to be a military chaplain. That'd be a glorious job. Well, get ready to move every three years. Huh? One young man said to me the other day, you'll appreciate this, but he said, I want to get in because I want, I want to go to Hawaii. He said, I, that's my choice. I said, I got news for you. You ain't going to Hawaii, bud. 
He said, what do you mean? I said, you don't go where you want to go. You go where they tell you to go. Amen. And now they do this very unusual thing. They send you what they call a wish list. They'll tell you what's available. You tell them what you like to have. And I tell all of them to just wish for what you don't want, because then you might get what you want. Amen. Because they turn around and send you where you want. So uh, God's been good to us. We have some men that have now over these 19 years rose to some positions of authority. The command chaplain in, in charge of all religious services at Camp Pendleton, California, is an independent fundamental Baptist preacher. Now think about that. Uh, we have a man just moved to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. He will be the, the chaplain in charge of all family counseling services for special op units. Fort Bragg just finished a master's degree at Texas A&M University. So God's been good. Amen. And, and so we appreciate it. And we have 48 missionaries. Uh, that we work with missionaries all over this world, and uh, you'll get to meet. Well, you all support the Sharpettas? Yes, sir. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, not really. No, they're great folks. Amen. We just saw Andy and Trista a uh, week before last. And so missionaries all over this world doing some very unusual things. Is this being broadcast? Live streamed? Okay. I, I should have asked that ahead of time because I was getting ready to say something. Amen. But we have some missionaries in some very unusual situations doing some very phenomenal things and you don't talk about that publicly a lot of it because of security reasons but i tell you what folks god's been good to uh, all points baptist mission and so we're glad to be here uh, we're glad to see some friends we haven't seen for a while amen first time i saw jeremy sharpetti was playing basketball in winchester ohio amen and your dad was sitting there very calm, cool, and collected. <laughs> yeah, and that, that was, that's a lie, amen. But anyhow, take your Bibles, find a view of the book of 3rd John. Go if you would the book of 3rd John. And we're excited to be here and be part of this month of missions for you all and with you all. And I, I'm excited what God may do over these next few weeks. And so the challenge has got to be keep your mind, your heart open to what God wants you to do. And last November, in the second week of November of last year, something very mon monumental happened, yet we just didn't realize it. Most people didn't realize it. And what happened in November, the second week of November, is this world you and I live in clicked past 8 billion people. We're now at 8.1 something billion people in this world. Now, the world statistics say 75% of those people are non-Christians. Now, I didn't say they're saved like us. It says they're non-Christians. When they talk about Christians, they talk about anything and everything that claims to be Christianity. And so you think about if 30% or 25% of the world is termed Christians and the rest of that world is not even termed anything about Christianity. We have a huge task to get done. You know, one, they say one third of the world is either is Catholicism and one third of the world is, is, is Islamic believers. Think about that. You, got, you have a country that's 1.6 million, uh, 6 billion people in China now. There's 1.5 in India. She put the two of them together. Over a third of the world lives in those two countries. One's communist, the other one's 
atheistic, basically. What are we going to do? So you come to 3 John, and read, if you would, with me a few verses in 3 John. I want to introduce to you a scriptural principle. Now, I'm going to try not to preach in Sunday school. When somebody asked me what the difference between my preaching and my teaching is, and I told them just the decibel level I do it at. Amen. <laughs> All right. Amen. 3 John, read these verses with me. Verse 1, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, to my love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when that the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in truth. Notice how many times as we read this, he talks about truth, truth, truth. And then he says in verse four, For I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And so he's emphasizing to Gaius, he said, you're walking in the truth. You're practicing the truth. What you're doing is a scriptural true principle. Now he begins to explain to them what it is they're doing. Hello. He's encouraging them, admonishing them on what they're doing, that they're practicing truth. And begin to read in verse five. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. And notice in verse 7, because for that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. So now John is writing and he's introducing this fact and he's saying what you're doing is not just a, 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 a scriptural verse of scripture that you know and learn, but a practice, a, a part of your life that you're doing. And he says here what it is that they're doing. And, and notice how he says it. He said, beloved, thou doest faithfully what the, whatsoever thou doest to what? To strangers and to brethren. Now, I'm, I, how many people didn't know us before we walked in the door today? Amen. We were strangers. But like it or not, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. So you're going to spend eternity with me, whether you like it or not. Amen. I had, had a guy, guy getting discussed with God the other day. He said, I don't believe the heavens that four square thing that they talk about. I said, then you don't believe the Bible. Amen. I think he was trying to find a way he could run from me as far as he could. Amen. But we're going to be there. We're, every missionary, most of the time that comes through here, when they come through here, they're strangers to us. They're, they're, they're not people that we're familiar with, but yet they're brothers and sisters in Christ because of their salvation, because of where they're at with the Lord Jesus Christ. So he said, this thing you're doing, you're doing faithfully to the strangers and to the brethren that come by your place. Who's that sound like? Sounds like missionaries, because then he goes on and says this. He said, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. Now, Brother Rice can uh, attest to this. You know, missionaries talk. Amen. And when missionaries sit around talking and there's nobody around, they're going, you need to go to this church. You don't want to go there. Hello. You go there. They put you in a prophet's chamber and the prophet's chamber is an inflatable mattress in the baptistry. You, you laugh. I've been there. Huh? 
most scary place in all the world is a church when you close the doors, shut out the lights and close the door and go home because you take the spirit with you. Amen. The spirit doesn't just dwell here. Amen. It dwells in you. It doesn't dwell in this building. So now when that's when it's cleaned and swept and you leave, guess what comes? Amen. Stay in a church in the middle of the night by yourself. See how you make out. So you say, preacher, what are you trying to say? Missionaries talk. They talk about the way God's people treat them. Who have borne witness of thy charity before the church. Huh? Then he says this, he's characterizing these people. He goes down in the next verse in verse number seven, because for that, for his name's sake, they went forth. Why does a missionary go forth? For the name and the sake of Jesus Christ, that the gospel could be proclaimed. Uh, we, have, we have two families that we work with in, through the mission that's in the Ukraine. You want to talk about crazy situation, folks. I mean, the, the, one, the one missionary has been named a chaplain for the Ukrainian army. The man is in battle zones all the time. He's went, why would you do that? Because you want to be some glorious martyr? No, for the namesake of Jesus Christ. He calls me in tears. He said, we need New Testaments. I can give every Ukrainian soldier that is going to battle a New Testament before he goes and witness to him if I just had him. They go forth for the namesake of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a phrase in this, since you're all with me now, amen. Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, okay. There's a phrase in the middle of verse number six that you need to get a hold of. And this is where I want you to get to this morning. He says in verse six, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. There's a phrase there, if thou bring them forward on their journey. Now, I want you to put your hand there and go to Genesis 18. My wife probably could teach this as much as I can. She's listened to me do it so many times. It's a biblical principle that I believe we're missing in a lot of our thinking in our church. Go to Genesis 18 because you see this beginning to be taught all the way back in the book of Genesis. If thou bring forward on their journey, you get to Genesis 18. We won't read all this. You know the story in Genesis 18. These three men come to Abraham's tent door. Abraham's sitting out there and, and, and the, these three men come to his tent door. You find that in verse one. After the Lord appeared to him unto, unto him in the plains of Mamre. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the front tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. And you know the story. He, he gives them water to wash their feet. He runs and gets the fatted calf, has it killed. He told them to make bread, give them something to eat. And he took care of them. He furnished what they needed. Now, listen, these three men, their journey did not end at Abraham's tent door. You read the rest of the whole context of this. These men were sent by God on a journey to Sodom and Gomorrah to preach the judgment of God upon that city. But God sent them by Abraham's tent door so that Abraham could minister to them, to refresh them, to encourage them. Amen. 
because watch what happens. You get down to the end of this in verse number uh, uh, 16. And he said, and the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them, what? To bring them on the way. To bring them on their way. Uh, can I, let me interject something right here. Uh, if, you lived, if you lined up 50 young men across this auditorium today that said God called them to, to the mission field, of those 50 young men, only five of them will ever start deputation. And of the five that start deputation, only two of them will finish it. And of the two that finish it and get to the mission field, now I'm, t I'm just quoting what people that say they know about, amen. I don't think it's this high, but it's what they say. Of the two that actually finish deportation and get to the mission field, 50% of them will never either finish the first term or when they come back after the first term, will never go back. Why? Because we have forgot how to bring them on their journey. They come back to America and they come back to the churches that have supposedly been supporting them and encouraging them and holding them up in prayer. And people don't know who they are. And the churches have changed and went off doctrine and went off in, in issues of this world. And all of a sudden now they realize the people that they've been leaning on that was supposed to be holding them up and refreshing them. And hey, listen, just the, the matter of deputation discouraged missionaries so much. Amen. Would I go back and do it again? Amen. <laughs> No. Think about a missionary, a missionary to have the support he needs. You're going to need 70 to 100 churches to support the average missionary to get to the mission field. And, and, and folks, don't get, you say 70 to 100 supporting churches and the average support right now is right at $70 a month. So you say, you preach, you're talking about almost $5,000 to $7,000. We have missionaries raising more than that because they're going to a place called Iceland. Iceland is $3,500 a month to rent a place to live. And you've not bought any food or paid any utilities yet, let alone do ministry. And so they have to have, let's just round it up to 100 churches. They got to have 100 churches to support them to get them to the mission field. Uh, the, the statistics say that three out of four or, or th one out of three churches take a missionary on. It used to be one out of four. It's getting a little better. One out of three churches take a missionary on that they've been in. So to get those 100 supporting churches, he's got to be in 300 supporting churches. Most of the time it's more than that. And you, you, you can get in a church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You can't get in 300 churches in two years. That's why it's taken three years and four years for missionaries to get to the field. They estimate that we'll invest over $200,000 in a missionary on deputation to get him to the field. Why? They get discouraged, dragged your family all over the country. Huh? Put your kids in a minivan and drive for seven hours and then get out and the church expects them to sit on the pew and be perfect little gentlemen and ladies. Ain't happening. Do you see what I'm saying? They're on a journey. And it says Abraham brought them on their way. Go, go if you would, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. If God would have just said it once or twice, I'd have stopped and said, okay, God, what are you talking about? But then when you get to Acts 15, he comes up again. 
You get to Acts 15, there's a uh, God is doing great things with the Gentiles through chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. So the people from uh, Jerusalem decide they're going to go up there and check it out. And what happens, they go up there and just tell, just try to tell them they got to be circumcised before they can be saved. And there's a great discussion going on. So what happens? So what happens then, it says in verse 2, And when therefore Paul and Barnabas had had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question, and being brought on their way, what? By the church. When God introduced this thought to us in Genesis, they went to Abraham's tent door. You go to Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus sent out the first disciples, the first apostles to preach the gospel, he said, you don't take anything with you. You just go and you enter into that town and you say, peace be unto that house. And if the peace of God is in that house, then you go in there and you remain and you eat and drink such as they provide for you. They came to your house. Aren't you glad you don't live in that day? Amen. I was like, just been sitting around one Monday, you know, drinking your coffee and somebody knocks on your door and it's and it's Peter and John. Hey, peace be unto you. Well, peace be unto you, sir. Hey, we're here. What's to eat? Where we sleep? <laughs> Amen. Amen. So God doesn't send them by your house personally. He sends them by our house. The church. Why? To bring them on their way. I get calls from missionaries. Preacher, we didn't get a love offering. What do we do? I said, get in the car and go on. What are you going to do? Go out there and scream and yell at somebody? But you know how discouraging that is? I've talked to missionaries' wives, and they said, Preacher, we've been in churches that we didn't know who the pastor's wife was. That lady comes in the door with a baby in her arm and a little toddler in this hand. And she looks haggard and frazzled. Why? You try it. And what she needs is somebody to come by and say, hey, can we help you? How are you doing today? You know, the nursery's right here. Is there anything you need? But I've talked to missionaries' wives and said, preacher, we... Nobody ever talks to us. And you wonder why they quit? Because the isolation's coming, folks, when they get to the mission field. Hey, smile at me. Some of you look at me like I'm crazy. I had one fellow say, you shouldn't tell that. It's the truth. It's the way it is. And if we're going to get this done, we've got to learn this principle, how to bring them on their way. I, I got to get on. I won't, I won't get it all in. Amen. Go to, go to ch chapter 21, the book of Acts. Chapter 21. You, you get to chapter 21. Is that right? Help me, honey. Is that the right scripture? You don't know. Yeah, it is. Chapter 21. I was in chapter 22. In my NIV, amen. <laughs> Woke somebody up right there, amen. 
Chapter 21, verse number five, and said, when they had accomplished these days, we departed and went, on, went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave, one of another, we took ship and they returned home again. They all brought us on our way with wives and children. Can I encourage you, mom and dad, missions month ought to be one of the greatest times for your family. Why? Ladies, you get to meet missionary wives. that are going to be in places that you will never be in your life and experience things you'll never experience. But they just need a friend. That every once in a while, shoot them a text or send them an email. This new thing, I, I've yet to figure it out. My grandkids trying to get me to figure this out. Marco Polo, amen. I'm, I'm so confused. There used to be this game called Marco Polo. Now you got this, I'm an old man, okay? Leave me alone. Just text me. I've, I finally got that figured out, amen. Okay. I still haven't figured out why if I'm sending you a text. Now I've texted you. I haven't figured it out. I'm not, just an old man, okay? Somebody minister to them. You talk to this lady over here, every day of her life, she's communicating with missionaries' wives, preachers' wives. And how many times she'll tell to me, said, honey, look, I sent this, and look what the reply was. You know, it's having a bad day. And your text came right. Your kids have an opportunity to become friends with missionaries' kids. Our kids' heroes should be the missionaries and not the ball players. Hello? Now, going a little farther, got kind of getting awful quiet. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. And notice how Paul says this in Romans chapter 15. Verse number 25, Romans chapter 15. I'm in, honey, you're going to tell me I'm in the wrong Bible. I'm in the wrong book, amen. I, I know where I'm headed, so I, there's one more verse. Romans chapter 15. Verse number 25, and he said in verse 24, And whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you. If first I be somewhat filled with your company, but now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. What Paul saying to the church, he said, I'm coming there. But before I get there, I got to go to Jerusalem. And he knew what was going to face. He was going to face at Jerusalem. And so what's he saying to the church at, at Rome now? I'm anxious to get there. So you can bring me on my journey. There's some places in my wife and I's life that we get excited to go to. Man, I tell everybody... I probably shouldn't say it was getting in trouble, but I have to become a snowbird missionary. Amen? Preacher. Not really. We just, the way the Lord is orchestrated, we every year in February, we go to Florida. 
We go to Pensacola Christian. We see the missionaries' kids. We go to uh, visit with our chaplain candidates that are there. We, we have a chaplain in Pensacola. We went to see him. Then we have some churches we preach in. But the one, one particular church, Pastor Irvin Clark and his wife, we met over 30 years ago. You know how you just click with some people? It was like that when we went to your mom and dad's church. Just clicked. And so we go down there. And so after we're done, we take a day or two and we all, we, the four of us just go somewhere and hide out. Why? Because we need it. Huh? That church, oh, they just love on us and love on all the missionaries come by. Hmm. Why? Because that's what it takes to bring them on their journey. We got there this year. I went through some health issues, still going through them. Pretty discouraged because I'd had to have a second treatment that I normally usually don't have in, the, in a year. Wasn't as excited about everything. And then we got there. Huh? Is this that place? That missionaries look forward to coming because they know when they come, they're going to leave here refreshed and excited and renewed to go to the next church. Just a couple more verses. Just a couple more verses. Go to Titus chapter 3. This verse just got to me. Titus chapter 3. There's a couple more verses in 2 Corinthians, but I'm going to get to Titus chapter 3 so I can tie this all together. He says in Titus chapter 3, Paul's writing to Titus, and he says, verse number uh, 13, Bring Xenius the lawyer and Apollos on their journey. And then notice this, that nothing be wanting unto them. Bring them on their journey, that nothing be wanting unto them. Do you see how many times over and over and over again in Scripture, God is encouraging us. There's these people, they're on a journey. They're going to where God is sending them to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And our job is to bring them on their journey. To not let them get discouraged, not let them get dis distraught, not let them drop out. Because there's people on the end of that journey they're on that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if that person gets discouraged, somebody's not going to get the gospel. Real thing, it happened to me. Nine years, I told you, we, this was the Rock of Ages prison ministry. We traveled all over the world. We were, I think at that time, 14 countries. We were doing prison ministry in some of the most uh, heartbreaking situations I've been in my life. Plus some of the most dangerous things I've ever been in my life. Doing that, doing that. We finished that. God leads us to all points. I send a letter to all the churches that had supported us through all that and told them about the change. And so I, then I started making calls to everybody. And I get to this one particular church and called the pastor. He goes, I said, this is Robbie Morrison? And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at your letter. I said, okay. He goes, have we been supporting you? 
I said, nine years. He went, well, praise God, glad we did. Now, right about then, Brother Charpetta, I've been, in, I've been in places where guys with machine guns are watching you as you walk across the yard. I'm sorry. <laughs> I woke these guys up. You better, get, you better get ready for the next service, amen? And I've, I've been in a prison situation toe-to-toe with the Muslim imam, depending on this one thing, that that church that took us on for support that said they stood with you was going to pray for you. And then the pastor don't even recognize your name. And it wasn't like they changed pastors. And I got to thinking, Brother Cody, if the pastor don't know who I am, I bet everybody else doesn't. And a few years later, God proved that to me. Because I'm preaching a missions conference and a man out of that church was going to the mission field. And he, I said, how long have you been there? He said, 25 years. I said, well, praise the Lord. I said, I want to thank you and the church for those nine years of support. He goes, did we support you? See what I'm saying? Bring them on their way. That's our job, folks. You're going to, you think the only thing about missions is that mission card you're going to fill out and how much money you're going to put in the plate. I got news for you. You can put all the money in the plate you want, but when that missionary walks in the back door or they've never heard from you and never got a birthday card, never got a contact, never got an involvement from you in your church, you have shirked your responsibility. Huh? I was preaching in a church and talking about this and I'm missionary out of that church, I, you probably wouldn't know who he is if I called his name. And his 16-year-old daughter sitting about three rows back over here. And I said, how many years have you been on the mission field? She told me. I said, in all those years, how many birthday cards did you get? And she began to weep. She said, two. Now I'm looking at people that if the pastor didn't recognize your birthday, you'd get mad and go to a church that cares. Amen? Well, I was in the hospital with not an ingrown toenail. It took me an hour and a half to get well. I couldn't even walk and the preacher didn't come by. And I'm not supposed to go somewhere where they really care about people. We send a missionary to the other side of the world and say, have a good life. Come back and tell us what will happen when you get back. And you wonder why they quit or they go awry? You want to hear an alarming statistic? A man who surveyed 3,500 independent Baptist missionaries, and they, 25% of those independent Baptist missionaries admitted to that preacher that they drank alcohol in a mission field to deal with the problems of living on the mission field. Why? I'll tell you why, when you step off an airplane in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and a missionary that's been there 20, 18 years, picks you up in a car, and you shut the door to that car, and he said, I got one thing to say to you. And I said, what? He said, you're the first preacher, the first person ever to visit my family and I on the mission field. 
living in the most wicked, vile city I was ever in in my life. He said yesterday they shot it out in the street in front of my house and the bullets ricocheted off the side of my house. And I'm the first, his own pastor had not been there in 18 years, let alone somebody from their church. How that man stayed there is beyond my comprehension. Bring them on their journey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for what you do in our lives. Move in our hearts as only you can. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. So we stand to our feet, our heads bowed and eyes closed. Are we doing our part for missions? I was challenged by that. Encouraged to do more, to pay closer attention to our missionaries. I try to put the needs before our church on a regular basis, read the letters and just highlight the information and try and keep that before our church. It's a great thought all throughout scripture. Bring them on their journey. As the piano plays, the altar's open. back table is a list of our missionaries their families on the prayer list maybe you'd say oh, I want to I need to start praying for them more 